Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's stand together, please. We're going to read the first six verses. It says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the, word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. Came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year, of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, into the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, meaning I set thee apart, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Verse 7, he says, But the Lord said unto me, Say not unto my child, I've got something for you. I wanted to give you the whole context of that verse. It's commonly used in, in this subject matter. and We'll talk about the context of it briefly. But we're obviously focusing on verse 5 where he says, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. Before I brought you out of the womb, I had a purpose for you. It gives us a little bit of an insight of what God thinks about life. A child in the belly of his mother. And gives us insight on what the creator of life thinks about what life is. So today I want to speak to you about the value of life. The value of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you would stir us with a burden for our country. Stir us with a burden for people, for all life. Both in the womb and out, out of the womb. And I pray that you would shape our thinking by your word and your truth. And we'll thank you for what you do and accomplish in our lives today. And it's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Again, I'm not apologizing for this, but you're visiting with us today. We're just taking a brief time out to address this subject. And we typically do expositional verse-by-verse study of the Bible, and I think that you'll really enjoy that. I want to encourage you to be back with us. In 2014, a woman in Carnes, Australia was arrested for stabbing to death eight children from the ages of 18 months to 15 years. Seven of them were her own children. One of them was her niece. I'm hearing people gasp and groan and wag their heads at the mention of this horrific crime. And we recognize that eight children who are tragically and senselessly murdered is absolutely heartbreaking. We ask ourselves the impossible question to answer, why would somebody do that? But I want to ask a different question. What about the 63 million plus children who have been senselessly and brutally murdered? So what children are you talking about? That's the approximate number of children who have been aborted since 1973 in the United States of America. I want you to think about this this morning. While you work tomorrow, 4,000 innocent people will be submitted to capital punishment and they will die. So what do you mean? They will have no trial before they are executed. They will have no attorney to represent them and defend them in a court of law. And they will not even enjoy the basic human rights that are afforded a, a POW prisoner of war. Of course, I'm speaking of aborted children in America. 
You know, for the first 10 plus years of my pastorate, I, n- I never did anything like this. I'm not saying I, I never mentioned abortion, never talked about this particular subject. I, I, I did from time to time as it would be a- applicable to the text at hand, but I never had a sermon directed at it. I, I never did a Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I- I'll be honest with you, it bothers me that we even have to do something like this. It really bothers me. Why? Well, mothers shouldn't kill their babies. It bothers me. It bothers me that fathers shouldn't abandon their children. It bothers me because there is not a single human life that is worthless, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their their age, regardless of their disabilities, as we use that word. All life is valuable. You see, having a day like today reminds us that there are children resting safely in their mother's womb that won't be here tomorrow. A day like today reminds us that there are kids just blocks away from our church that will be slapped, they will be cursed, and they will be abused before the sun sets today. It reminds us that there are elderly men and women that are sitting in loneliness and their lives have been declared as Ebenezer Scrooge proclaimed, a surplus population. It bothers me. So I bring you back to Jeremiah chapter 1, specifically verse 5. You see, Jeremiah in this text was probably about 20 years of age when God called him into ministry. He said, "I I want you to be a prophet, to represent me to the people. And of course, like like us, Jeremiah was in a time of spiritual decline and darkness over his land. But he looked at the task before him. And he might have been tempted to think the way that you and I might be tempted to think. Like, what difference can I make? Really, sometimes I I feel that way. I would imagine you feel that way. Like, listen, these are the decisions politicians are making. I'm no politician. How am I going to impact the thinking of 8 million people in New York City and 4 million people in Los Angeles and several other million people? How do I? I'm just one person. How how am I going to make a difference? And I can see Jeremiah going, how can I do this? I'm just a kid. Who's going to listen to me? And he he looks at the wickedness around him and the darkness of the shadow, and then he looks within himself and sees the weakness in himself, and and he says, I'm I'm balking at this. I'm going to hesitate at this. He's basically saying to God, I'm not the man for this job. But God has an answer for it. Because God always has an answer. Remember, that's what he said to Moses. Moses said the same thing. I can't face Pharaoh. I'm just a shepherd. I'm a failure, really. I'm just a shepherd on the backside of the desert. And God looks at him and says, hey, hey, who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? Who fashioned you? What was God saying? He's saying, I created you. I made you. I will help you. So Jeremiah says the same thing. Like, how can I do this? I'm just a child. And God says to him, hey, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. Let me tell you, when you were in the weak helpless state in your mother's womb when you were a life there. I made you, I fashioned you, I formed you. And even then, I set you apart for the service that I have for you today. I want you to understand that that's the context in what he gave. 
But that's a, that's a, a truth that is expressed in the Bible over and over and over again. That God made you. And God fashioned you. And God has a purpose for you. He died to save you and redeem you so that you could fulfill that purpose to bring honor and glory to Him. He has a design for your life. Why? He's the maker of life. He's the sustainer of life. Sometimes He's the taker of life. He's the lover of life. He's the God of life. So this morning, I want to give you three arguments to consider when determining the value of life. And I say this, you might say, I've already got my mind made up, but good, I want to reinforce your convictions. But I look around this room, and I know a lot of our children are in, in children's ministry and those kind of things that are going on around the property today, but we do have teenagers, we have college kids, we have young people, we've got young families, and we are being bombarded, being bombarded by, by the world and its thinking. And we need to have a place where we can come on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and we can just shut off the audible noise of our world, and we can concentrate on the truth of God's Word and it can have an impact and an in, influence on the, what our convictions are and the way that we think. So three arguments to consider when determining life. Number one, what I've already expressed, and that's this. God is the creator of life. God is the creator of life. Have you ever heard a kid say, you can't tell me what to do? All of us have a little bit of that in us. That's why some, some of us, when we see a, a sign that says, wet paint, don't touch, we touch it anyway. We don't like people telling us, you can't tell me what to do. And by the way, let me just pause. This isn't a parenting sermon, but let me just pause right here. If a kid ever says, you can't tell me what to do, and they're your kid, oh, yes, you can. Don't ever let your kids tell you no. Listen, all of my kids are teenagers and in their 20s now, and uh, we, were, we were sitting around a family room one, one evening not too long ago, and one of my kids who's older looked at me and said, said Dad, you, you sometimes growing up, you could really scare me. I said, good, I meant to. They said, I'd have never even thought of telling you no. Because I thought it'd be the end of my life. It would have. It would have been the end of your life. Listen, parents, don't ever let your kids tell you no. Why? You're their parent. You have authority to tell them what they need to be doing. You, you see, a kid sometimes saying, you, you, you can't tell me what to do. But, but them saying that does bring up a good question. Who has the right to tell us what to do? Well, the answer, according to the Bible, is God Himself. He has full authority over all things. You say, well, who says? He says. Why? Because He made everything. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created Him. By the way, uh, you ever wondered, I, I've read that verse before and thought, well, why did it say male and female created He Them? Everybody knows that. Well, apparently they don't. So, I mean, <laughs> we, God, God always knows what He's doing when He puts a verse in the Bible. He never wastes His words, does He? Now, we had to wait, you know, 6,000 plus years of human history to get to that. But anyway, I digress. Since God has created life, He protects and sustains life. Colossians chapter 1 says, For by Him were all things created. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. You see, because God is the giver and sustainer of life, He is also the authority on life. He's the authority of life. There was a famous apologist who was giving a lecture at a college campus. Uh, the subject of abortion was not even mentioned 
But as he was doing a call-in talk radio show, an antagonist called in and said, all you people, talking about this Christian apologist, all you people do is enforce your agenda. You want to take away our rights and invade our private lives. The teacher who was moderating this guest speaker pointed out that the subject of abortion had not even been raised. But the caller angrily said, well then what is your position on abortion? This is what the apologist said. He said, as I lecture, often people will claim that God is an evil God because He allows evil in the world. If a plane crashes, sometimes 30 are killed and 20 live. What kind of God would allow some to live and some to die? But when we play God and we determine who should live and who should die, we claim it is our moral right. But God plays God and we call it an immoral act. Can you justify that to me? Aren't you thankful for people who have brilliant minds like that? They're able to argue. I'd just say, well, well, you're stupid. You know, that's, that's. But isn't that such a truthful argument? God plays God and we, we shake our fists at him. But when we play God, we, we know. We can decide who lives and who doesn't live. You see, in the Bible... You need to understand this. God is the creator of life. And understand this is about the Bible. In the Bible, God basically does two things. He tells us things He wants us to know. And He tells us things He wants us to do. And this morning, here's something that I want you to know because I believe God has put it in the pages of His written Word because He wants you to know this. And here's what He wants you to know today. He wants you to know that He is the creator of life. He is the creator of life. For far too long, our society has been told that they are a product of their own making. They're a product of evolutionary chance, that they're basically nothing but a higher evolved animal. And, and, and then we wonder why our world is acting so animalistic. We wonder why people are getting over fist fights because they didn't get their french fries on time. Well, that makes sense if you believe in survival of the fittest. That's why people are stealing and running rampant in crime. Why? They're just acting like the animals they've been told they are. But I'm trying to boldly declare today that you are not an animal. You know that. You are a, a creation of God. A different form of life. He fashioned Adam out of the dust of the earth. Why? He, the other animals, he just spoke. Adam was not an animal. He fashioned him. He created him. He breathed into him. He took special care with him. God is the giver of life. And so I want to say to you this morning, let's say what the psalmist said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made made me. I think about that when I look into the faces of, of a congregation like this. So many different people from so many different areas and walks of life. And all of us are so almost like the same. We're just made the same. Two eyes. I, I know somewhere, somewhere is missing an eye. I know, but I'm just saying two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two ears, you know, ten fingers, all that kind of stuff. But yet at the same time, every one of us is uniquely different. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Where does that come from? It comes from God, the creator of life. Number two, number two, this is the truth. Life has value regardless of its condition. I think reading to your kids is good, and Mindy and I read to our kids a lot when they were growing up, and I'd read to the kids, but I was selective on what I was going to read. Let's be honest, most kids' books are dumb and boring. So I don't mind reading Green Eggs and Ham. 
That's my kind of poetry right there. Loved reading Shel Silverstein poems to my kids. Junior high humor with a rhyme, awesome, I love it. Love hearing them giggle, I'd giggle, we have fun. Did you ever read your kids another Dr. Seuss classic, Horton Hears a Who? You, you know the tagline in that. A person's a person, no matter how small. It's almost as if we... Hollywood makes movies about Horton Hears a Who, and we sell books by the millions of Horton Hears a Who, but we don't practice the truth that they're trying to teach in that, in that story. A person's a person, no matter how small. It's amazing to me how the world has put conditions on life. If it's in the womb, it isn't really life. If it's dependent upon its mother, it's, it's not really life. If if it's wanted, then it's life, but if it's not wanted, then it's not life. If we just call it something different, like a, a fetus, then that just automatically makes it not life. Let's go back to history for a second. Some of you that are students of history, and American history in particular, maybe you're familiar with what is known as the Dred Scott case. It is a man who was an enslaved African-American man who sued for his freedom. But he lost 7-2 in the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Chief Justice Roger Taney wrote the decision for the majority. Those seven that voted against his freedom, he wrote the decision. And basically what they did is they used the Declaration of Independence for their argument against this man's freedom. They used the expression that's in our Declaration of Independence that says all men are created equal. And again, I understand that America hasn't always held true to that principle in practice, but it's always declared it as truth. And it set up the stage for it to be practiced. All right, Everybody understands that. But here's what he said in his decision. It is too clear for dispute that the enslaved African race were not intended to be included and formed no part of the people who framed and adopted this declaration. And he went on to say in his, in his uh, argument that basically people have these inalienable rights. So denying them, in denying this man, Dred Scott, his rights, he was basically saying he is not a person. Now I'm just going to tell you, whether it ruffles feathers or not or makes you uncomfortable or not, we're going to just say it this morning. Just because they said a black man is not a man doesn't mean they were right. I believe that there's one race, that's the human race. We all descended from Adam and Eve. We all share the same thing. You cut us and we bleed. So, we're 99.9% we're the same. You say, you say, why are you saying all this? This isn't a sermon on social justice and racism. No, it's a sermon on life. And I'm telling you, they got that wrong, and they're getting this very wrong. You can say all you want, it's not a man, it is a man. And you can say all you want, it's not a baby, but it is a baby. It's a life. We must not overlook that those who have challenges in this life study the life of our Lord Jesus. He showed special concern for the lame, didn't he? He showed special concern for people who were blind. He showed special concern for lepers, and you could go on and on and on. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he seem to stop and draw his attention to people who were sick? Why did he draw his attention to people who seemed to have disabilities as we use that terminology today? I would say it's because he was the creator and sustainer of life and he valued it in every one of his creations. 
Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you get angry if you ever see a healthy person park in a handicapped spot? Listen, I, you know me, I'm 100 miles an hour, go, go, go all the time. So these people that wait for parking spots, they make no sense to me. I can park way away from everybody and get into the store before they get into their parking spot. So I don't understand that in the first place. But then it does just kind of burn. I mean, like one of my good friends said this when, when something's irritating. He says, that really frosts my mug. <laughs> and it does frost your mug a little bit when you see somebody perfectly healthy roll up in there. And they probably borrow their grandma's handicap thing and they stick it up there anyway and just kind of hop out the car and woo. Does that bother you? In fact, I'll tell you what, sometimes I'm up here at the church and there is zero people in the parking lot, zero people. It's just me and I got to run in and run into the door real quick and grab something. And sometimes we got handicapped spaces out here, I'll just pull up in one of them. And I, I kind of feel bad about that. And there's nobody even in the parking lot. <laughs> well, why does that frost your mug? Why does that burn your buttons a little bit? Well, because you, you feel like, well, I want to protect. I want, I want, to, I want to accommodate life that, that, that needs that, that extra help. Well, again, here's my question. Why is it that we want to protect, defend, and accommodate the handicapped or the disabled, whatever politically correct expression is going on today? Forgive me. But when a child is deemed less than perfect, the parents are encouraged to eliminate it. It's hypocrisy. And I'm telling you this morning, you may know this, you may agree with this, I hope we can influence your thinking or reinforce your thinking, but I'm telling you whether it's in the womb, out of the womb, whether it's what we consider healthy or unhealthy, whether it's old or young, whether it contributes to society or drains society, life has value regardless of its condition. It has value just simply innately because it's a human being created in the likeness and image of God. Number three, and finally. Once life begins, it has eternal existence. You understand our earthly life is just simply a prelude to eternity. Hebrews 9.27, you may know this verse, it says this, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So you know what the Bible teaches us? The Bible teaches us that all life will exist forever. All life will exist forever. We can call it eternal life, or you can call it eternal death. You think about that. You will either live forever in heaven, or you will die forever in hell. But you will exist forever. And I say to you this morning, that is why it is so valuable. Because it's God's prized possession. Again, I take you back to Genesis. I believe in the creation account. I hope you do too. I, I think biology points to what, what some scientists call intelligent design. We call it God's creation. God spoke and out of nothing he made everything. But again, I refer to you that, that he fashioned Adam out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It was his prized creation. He made Adam, not the animals. He made Adam in the likeness and image of God. Have I ever told you I have a dog? 
I've got an idiot dog. Idiot dog. I've told you before, he has the, he has the, the head of a beagle, the chest of a pit bull, the legs of a basset hound, the body of a wiener dog, and the brain of an idiot. And he loves to eat. Loves to eat. I've never one time seen him bow his head. Oh, Lord, thank you. For this old Roy Walmart dog food. He's never said to me, hey, I should like to go to church and worship the Creator with you. He has no no spiritual nature. But man does. Why? Man is a prized creation created in the likeness and image of our God. We are a tripartite being. We worship a, a tripartite God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have body, soul, and spirit. We are His prized creation. And He came to redeem mankind and to set us aright so that we can have a restored relationship with our Creator. He cares about everybody in this room. He wants you to put your faith and trust and dependence in Him because you'll either live with Him in His glory or you will live under the hand of His judgment. Either way. Now if we are God's prized creation, what do you think God thinks about when we despise it and destroy it. As a pastor, uh, it's kind of fun, you know, just being a pastor, being, being, being around here for uh, seven years this month now, and to watch kids just grow up in church. And for some, some kids here, I've, I've been their pastor for the last seven years. For some, I haven't been their pastor that long, they're new to the church, that's, that's fine, I just, I, I enjoy that being their pastor, being their friend, just kind of being a stability in their life, being that, that old gray-headed guy yelling all the time. And so it's not uncommon kids get bored in church. I, I always know I'm doing a good job when they fall asleep, point, point in case right here. <laughs> Sometimes they get bored in church and they start coloring and drawing and they'll, they'll draw me pictures. And it's always some crazy picture, you know, and uh, they're, they're all proud of it. I got a picture here. It, it says on there, I, I love you, preacher. I like to see that. That's nice. This is from Ella Bernheisel. You open it up, there's a picture of, this is me. I, have, I don't have skinny jeans on. I got big baggy jeans on. <laughs> and, and I guess this is her. And uh, this, is, this is the Bible. My Bible is really big. And uh, maybe this is my dog I was telling you about. You know, a lot of times I'll get these things and I'll, I'll uh, maybe hang them on my refrigerator and uh, keep them there for a little while, or I'll just really appreciate it. But you know, I was looking at this, it's so sweet, I love you preacher, and I was thinking, that's me, like, whoa, that's kind of rude. Can't you see little Ella sitting at a table, little chubby hands? I still do this when I learned to write in kindergarten. I, I still write that way. I can see her sticking her tongue out in concentration, trying to draw the picture that she thought carefully. And I can just take her, her sister's picture and do the same. What, 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 if I, what if I took little Cora's picture and she said, Preacher, I'd write truths for you. So? It's not very good. I mean, you're no Rembrandt, that's for sure. 
Listen, some of you are looking at me and saying, man, you're a jerk. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, I asked the girls to draw these pictures for this illustration. That's their prized artwork. They, they, that's their creation. They designed this out of their imagination and out of their heart. They, they made this, and they gave it as a, a gift to me. And your reaction indicates like, that it's, it's, it's a horrible thing to just tear it up and destroy and disregard. I mean, like, even if we don't keep it forever, we, oh, that's awesome, and we, we, we discreet, you know, like, man, we, we are doing the same thing with God's prized creation. It's as, as if we're saying, if it has no value, if it's not viable, if it's not this, if it's not that... And we just, we're just ripping up in front of his face what he has made. Now, I take you back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah said in verse 6, I, I can't speak. I'm just a child. What, what can I do? And I want to answer that question. I've got a few minutes here. What can we do? What can we do? You and I, we're not members of the Senate. We are not on the Supreme Court that's able to hand out decisions. We, we, what, what can we do? I've got six things. One, we can teach morality in the home and in the church. Make no mistake about it, and I'm not going to get off on a rabbit trail. I know you want to go to lunch at some point today. But make no mistake about it. This issue of abortion is really about an issue of morality. Our world wants to sleep around with whoever it wants to sleep with and pretend as if there, is no, there are no consequences for sexual immorality. That's exactly what this is really about. So how can we help this? We can teach, we can teach morals in our home and teach morals in our church. And by the way, folks, we need to do a good job of teaching our kids that, that, that the gift of sex is, is not bad. It's a gift from God. It's a good thing. But it has to be handled the way God said to handle it. I hope you know what I'm saying. If you don't, that's a whole other sermon, so work with me here. How about this? Number two. Have compassion for the unwed mother. I know the church hasn't always been everything that the church should be. And sometimes, because in the church's history, it's had a passion for what I just said, sexual morality and the sanctity of marriage and those kind of things, that we've sometimes practiced shame on people. And I'm not saying that to conceive outside of the bounds of marriage is not sinful. It is sinful. It is. And why we should preach morality and we should stand for what is right, we should always do it with the right spirit, and we should always strive to help people even as they bear the consequences of their own sinful choices. Does that make sense to everybody? So, let's be very clear. Somebody we don't know comes in and they have children out of wedlock. They're a single mom. We should love them. 
and encourage them and help them every way we can. If one of our teenagers fell into sin and conceived out of what we should not condone that, know exactly where we stand on that, but love that person and help them. I hope that's very clear. That's something we can do. Number three, we should speak, about, speak against abortion without apology. Because again, as a pastor, if you're visiting, I, I want visitors to come and really love the service and think to themselves, I want to go back there. And I wouldn't want a visitor coming in and going, man, good grief, man, this guy, boy. No, 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 no. But, but listen, I do not apologize for speaking out on the truth on these important issues. And I think that we, as God's people, should not live in fear about what is right, and, and we ought to speak our convictions and hold them. I would also like to say we need to vote accordingly. Did you know recently the South Carolina Supreme Court? I'm talking about South Carolina. I'm not talk, come on now. I'm not talking about New York, and I'm not talking about uh, California. I'm talking about South Carolina. Our Supreme Court just struck down the heartbeat bill. This is what our Supreme Court said in its decision. We hold that our state constitutional right to privacy extend to a, extends to a woman's decision to have an abortion. Oh, so you can privately kill your child. Makes no sense. And I, I can't control all this stuff, but I can't control who I vote, vote for or vote against. And you, you can say, well, our vote doesn't really matter. Well, I'm still going to vote for conscience sake. And I'm not, I personally, you do what you want to do, but I personally am not going to vote for somebody I knowingly supports abortion. I won't vote for them. I don't care what party they are in. Well, you know, we need to pick the, choose the lesser of two evils. I'm tired of picking evil. I'm not voting for you. I'll actively vote against you. Number five, you can get involved actively. Listen, we can only do so much, but I know some people, boy, get, go over and volunteer at the Anderson Support, uh, Pregnancy Support Center. Go, go up to Greenville. They've got one up there, too, and help there. Man, if you need to get involved in the protest, that's fine. Uh, we, we, we can get involved. We can write our politicians. We can do these kind of things. And I want to say, sixthly, we should pray for God to have mercy on us. Still think of that message on Habakkuk. Woe to the nation that builds itself on violence. And our nation is coming apart at the fabric. And we should pray with a broken heart that God would have mercy on us. If you come around here all the time, you know I like to ask questions. I'm going to ask a few here. Question number one is this. What about your life? God has given you life. What about your life? Where will you spend eternity? Because let me tell you something. God made you. He created you. He loves you. He died to save you. He wants you to spend eternity with Him in His glory. And the only way to do that is to put your faith and trust and dependence in Jesus Christ. What about your life? Where will you spend eternity? Will you spend it in heaven, saved by your own sin? Save from your own sin, or will you spend it in hell paying for your sin for eternity? 
Friend, I, I want you to know the Savior today. He loves you. He died to save you. My second question is this. How valuable is life to you? How valuable is life to you? If we're believers, if we're Christian people, we say we believe the Bible, life ought to be very valuable to us. And I pray, that the, I pray for our young people here that your thinking will be shaped by what is right not conformed into the mold of this crazy world in which we live.